Hey everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. And Adam, you know what? Uh, what what's going on, buddy? Well, today. Yes. Me and my wife did go to a did go to a store called uh called Costco. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've heard of this Costco. Yes. You you have a membership and you buy, you know, gallons of peanut butter at a time. It's, it's a fascinating We didn't place. buy peanut butter. We did buy a substantial amount of extra virgin olive oil. Have you ever seen? <laughs> and I invite our listeners to search this on YouTube. But the grand opening of the first Costco in China involving like a mass pandemonium Black Friday style bum rush for rotisserie chickens. It's a an amazing piece of footage. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did you get at Costco? <laughs> so we're about to check out, right? Yeah, my wife, my wife says she needs to use the restroom beforehand. So I am I am left alone in Costco. Yes. Terrible choices. Mm. I find I, I'm walking around and I see an office chair and I sit down in it. Oh, Adam, my world has changed. Was it the X chair? I, it's not. But I did immediately bring this office chair home <gasps> and put it together in moments. And I tell you what. Call me the maker, baby, because I am sitting in quite a cozy office chair. Wow. Wow. Good for you. Making a a spur of the moment purchase at at Costco. Let me tell you. Let me tell you some (laughs) facts about this comfort core (laughs) seat construction. It's got polyfiber fill comfort top, overall comfort distribution foam layer, a softer front promoting circulation and a firmer support in the back cushion. And wouldn't you know the adjustable headrest has four locking positions. Oh my goodness. This seems like ergonomic to the extreme. Now, this is a manager chair. Oh, oh, it's like big boss chair. I like that. It is. Only the best for our makers. Does your chair come with either a uh, power neutralizer or maybe a holographic skyscraper um, living room? perhaps i you know what those were right next to it but i did <laughs> i didn't get the, i didn't get the lowest level chair to make i did get like the medium tier like this isn't an executive chair i feel like the executive chairs have the neutralizers and the diarrhea <laughs> transmorphers and whatnots where the manager Trans- chairs just have uh it just has like an adjustable tension on your spring back okay okay hey you know, I recommend we, going to Costco and buying this chair. It was reasonably priced. It's and folks, uh, just to be clear, this chair is not sponsoring this episode. So this is just. But it could not... if Lazy Boy, <laughs> if Lazy Boy gets over to us, absolutely. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if we were an X Men podcast and we were doing SpawnCon for Lazy Boy. <laughs> Lazy Boy, hit us up. That's right. I just did all that to do with the maker bit, and I feel like we just got. Re- I got really into talking about the chair. That's okay. That's okay. I've been having we like are talking... carpal tunnel things. I needed a good chair. Yeah. No, I'm happy for you. You need that lumbar support. You know what I mean? And, Dude, uh... the lumbar support is what sold me on it. Not a joke. <laughs> this is how you know I have I have evolved into my 30s over the course of this podcast. 
Well, hopefully our listeners are getting the lumbar support that they need because this week we are talking about Forge. And, Forge! Uh, of, <laughs> did you see that? So we mentioned at the end of last episode that when Zach did that, it was a reference to Luke Hare's Exiled podcast. Did you notice that when I made the announcement on Twitter that we were doing this episode that Luke Hare got upset? <laughs> no, because I don't use Twitter, but I will... I will uh, shoot. I will shoot Luke a note right n- right now and be like, "I didn't see it, but I heard you tweeted about this." Yes, I'm going said, to send him that. He said he was insulted, and I said, "Well, <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he heard the end of last episode." So um, we are talking about Forge this week, and uh, that includes his first appearance, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes here. But um, Zach, who do we have to thank? for talking about everyone's favorite inventor of the X-Men? Oh, that's uh, that that right there. That's a great question, Adam. And thank you for bringing it up. We have Patreon supporter Robert to thank for this. If you want to be like Robert, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, reach deep down into your hearts and your pocketbooks, and toss a couple of coins into our coffers. We'll do an episode. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Look. Yeah. Look. And I, I was excited to do this one because it spans a bunch of different uh time frames in the x-men's history and forge is a fascinating character i i think there are a lot of layers to forge and forge has the potential to be a fascinating fascinating character i don't fully think that he has been realized as a fascinating character (laughs) frequently Forge has a lot going on. So for people not familiar with his character. Forge may have too many hats. Yeah, he is. um, His mutant power is that he can invent everything. He also has a cybernetic leg because he's a Vietnam vet who lost a limb. Does he lose his hand too? I I forget. He He lost his hand. It's his leg in his hand. Yeah, so his cybernetic limbs. He's also a uh, shaman who can summon. Yes. Like demons from the spiritual plane. Um, to be clear, summoning those demons was a bad choice. And they <laughs> actively say that's not what he should have done with his shamanistic abilities. He's Cheyenne. Yeah. He was a pupil of Naze. And like, that's a, that's the a thing. You could having having Forge also be the mystic Native American. Not ideal. I understand the push and pull between technology and tradition that Claremont is going for, but he's boy, he's sailing in some choppy waters and sometimes, sometimes some waves do get right up on there. I would agree. Um, What's fascinating though, is that um, we're going to start with Forge's first appearance, which is uncanny X-Men 184 and 185 um, is that Forge does arrive relatively fully formed. Um, from the very first couple, first couple of pages, we see Naze like running out on, on forge in his holographic, uh, you know, skyscraper living room, you know, we're seeing his inventions. We're seeing what his motivations are. I mean, it's not seeing that he is an arms dealer, which isn't ideal. No, but you know, this idea that there's this mutant out there that is um, willing to create these things for the government. It's a really smart idea. You know, uh, it's a very cool character. It it has a lot of potential to explore just different facets of people and going back and forth. I don't know if it gets fully realized in this. What does get fully realized in this is Forge is wearing 
the greatest outfit. Oh, the first appearance uh, outfit is just, we, we got to talk about John Romita's art here. Uh, John Romita Jr.'s art here, because this is John, this is John Romita and Chris Claremont. Y'all know, y- y'all knew it was Claremont, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we also have to point out, you know, Dan Green is on inks. Um, the colors by Glennis Wine in these two issues are also spectacular. There's some really, really great, you know, pieces in here that, that just look spectacular because of what they're all doing. John Romita Jr. is killing it here. To describe this outfit to anyone who has not seen it. Polo shirt, tight. Horizontal black and white sailor stripes. They're popping. His collar, additionally popping. Shorts. <laughs> You think five-inch inseams are in? I think that was a couple of summers back. But now Forge is at like a three, maybe a four-inch inseam <laughs> on these baby blue shorts. They look like softies. They look like there should be a, there should be words on the butt that say enemy of the state. It's incredible. <laughs> He's got one glove over his robot hand. He's got some really just like sharp white Adidas with some blue that really pops with the shorts. He has his robo leg, and he also has some tube socks rolled up. His <laughs> hips popping. He's got his he's got his walking cane, and you know he's got a little pencil mustache and a bad haircut. I don't know what's with his haircut. <laughs> he's he's you know he's just rocking his like it, yeah it's not a great haircut but you know could, the haircut's could, the only thing that's a challenge about this look. Everything worse. else is dynamite. It's not quite like a two thousands like Caesar cut, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be worse. It's <laughs> it's borderline. It's it's close to that. Yeah, it's so freaking good. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So um, our issues begin. This story begins with uh, Val Cooper and Raven Darkholm, aka Mystique, but not in Mystique form, going to see Forge about the infamous power neutralizer, which will come into effect in the next issue. Let's be clear about why why they are going to, because this gets oddly lost in here. Oh yeah, it's all about Rom. It's all about Rom Space Knight. Uh, this yep. is about the Wraith War. Yes. Uh, you can read about that in the two-part Romnibuses, Romnibi that are coming out. Uh, Forge, Forge has to stop the diorates. And this does have a secondary thing of, it's going to depower mutants if they get hit with it. Which is something that Val Cooper is interested in. Val Cooper, Very. government agent, National Security Council, Project Wide Awake, just the worst. You know the last time Val Cooper has appeared, right, Adam? Uh, last, was it? In like comics as of us recording this in July of 2023. Oh, oh, wait, like in current continuity? Yeah, you know, you know the last time we've seen Val Cooper? When was the last time we saw Val Cooper? That's a good question. I don't remember. Oh, I do. It was in the it was in the Priest series US Agent where she was sleeping with US Agent. Oh, no. Oh, Val. Come on. Hold on. Hold. Do you think is any... Is that surprising behavior by Val Cooper? No, no. Val Cooper um, is, you know, if Val Cooper is not on Orcus currently, I would be surprised. You know what I mean? Like Val has made it if Val's very not clear on... that she is not the best ally to the mutants. <laughs> I can, I, here's, here's the thing. I don't think Val would be on Orcus and it's not for political reasons. It's that she does not believe. She agrees with their cause, but does not believe in their methods and feels like that they can manage this through the bureaucracy of the United States government and not through a paramilitary culty organization ran by Modoc. 
Yeah, Henry Peter Gyrick, obvious, obvious Orcus supporter, has been space vented because of it. But Val Cooper specifically wouldn't. Also because Henry Peter Gyrick, she's like, actually, I don't like that. <laughs> well, and speaking of Gyrick, um, hate each other. When we get into 285, which I just want to note for listeners that 285 was actually one of my very first X-Men comics. And darn, wasn't I confused because what is uh, Henry Gyrick doing at the beginning of this issue, but actually strangely (laughs) recapping the stuff that happened in Dazzler and that one issue of, of uncanny where she, where they fought rogue at the Pentagon right like it it's this weird rogue stuff you know back flat flashback um Garrick gets his hands on the on the power neutralizer so when rogue and storm are coming to this like very emotional beat uh and and storm allows in rogue, county mississippi where yeah. rogue's talking about how she kissed Cody. They were just fooling around necking really. Oh man. You know, I, I do love this issue because it does have rogue telling that story, which is later than told in a very great X classic X-Men backup story that I believe Nascenti wrote. I want to say it was Nascenti, not Simonson anyway, but anyway, rogue uh, storm allows rogue to take her powers. Garrick shows up. He's going to try and take rogue out. Cause that's the whole purpose. And of course, this is how storm loses her powers before the next issue, which is infamous life death. I don't think life death is death is infamous. I think it's just famous. Yeah, that's probably better. All right. I don't the think there's famous, a level of infamy to life, <laughs> the famous death. life death. So we're getting a lot of really great character work here. The whole f- first issue is also about two thirds of it is the first uncanny X-Men appearance of Rachel. Yeah. Rachel has, Rachel has come to uh, the present, which showed up in new mutants originally right at the start Mm -hmm. of demon bear. Yep. Ends up coming and trying to find people ends up at a club. And this guy named Nick is like, Oh, she's in trouble. I'm going to take care of her. (laughs) Does not end well for Nick. Cause do you know who shows up? Oh, everybody's uh, favorite energy vampire, Celine. Sidebar. And I say this as the bad boy of X-Men podcasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane that people like Celine now. <laughs> Absolutely freaking bonkers to me that people like Celine. Because I don't think you like Celine as she is in the comics today. Everyone except for Connor. Connor, she's a mean lady. I get it. <laughs> you like the idea of Celine that came up on a podcast that was pretty funny and then on some TikToks. And I I get it. It's very funny. It's just so wild to go back and read Celine stories and be like, oh, but these suck. I actually think Celine is pretty great here. She's just basically like Celine. I out for Celine. a snack. You know, she senses that there's a huge amount of energy. I think a big part of it that sells it for me, at least in this particular issue, is John Romita's art. You know, and the colors that comes to it, right? That like this is really Ramita Jr. like selling. He's got the expressions, you know. There's this great panel of Celine that's just like blood red, and she's kind of looking up from under her eyebrows with a dastardly smile on her face. It's really great stuff. So we're getting all of that. Of course, Forge is pissed because he was like, Yo, I showed you guys this 
and, and it was a, a prototype. It, it's not meant for you to go around shooting it in public. How how could Forge have known that DARPA would take his untested weapons <laughs> and use them in ways that he didn't want? How in 1984 could anyone understand that it is potential that now they have become Death Destroyer of Worlds? Yeah, and it just sets up a, a classic Forge dynamic of Forge having invented things that he probably shouldn't have that are then going to cause lots of trouble. Forge, like, here's the thing. Forge is very smart. He absolutely should have known better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The second he learned as a mutant that he had created something that takes away mutant powers, he should have just destroyed it and been like, I need right. another 12 this months one goes on... on the shelf. <laughs> I need another 12 months on the dire rates thing. Can we uh, can I get an extension, please? Please. Yeah. Come on, guys. Look, engineering takes time. Adam, do you know how many engineering projects I have done in my day to day life? Uh, how I'm many sure I've been a part of like greater than 10? Can I tell you how many of them have launched on time? I'm sure very few. Goose egg. Yeah. There's been some where we have had legal things that they had to launch by a certain date. And what you do in that case is you just launch the bare minimum. Right. <laughs> your, sc your scope, either your scope shrinks or your timeline increases. Those are your two options in project management. Yeah, so Forge had some options here, and unfortunately, Storm at the at the end of the day is depowered for quite a bit of time, um, and uh, Forge is left to take care of her. So that's where we're going. Obviously, um, we've covered that story already, but I quite enjoyed these two uh, issues. Issues. We should uh, we should rank them on our big old list. That's the thing about this podcast, and that's what separates us: is that we separate the wheat, we separate the chaff. We put them in two different piles and we say, wheat, you're going to turn into bread, maybe a scone. Chaff, I don't know what you do with chaff. I think you burn it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going with this because it really is all one pile, Zach. No, you separate the wheat from the chaff, the good from the bad. We, we rank everything from best to worst. We do, we list. do. But it does all end We've up done on it one 801 times. Oh it God. does, but there's... Yeah, buddy, there's a pretty distinct cutoff point <laughs> of the good and the bad and yes. here's the unfortunate part about x-men comics the halfway point would be about 400 right now right yeah probably i don't think the i don't think the cutoff point between good and bad comics is at 400 no i think uh... i think the good comics stop a good chunk above that <laughs> uh to be an x-men fan i love x-men so much it's so here's the thing x-men's my trash and I love yeah, it. Yeah, I love it. That's why we're here every week for you people. We we are. Uh, we have ranking. We are ranking all these comics. The first best comic is House of X Powers of Ten. The two hundredth best comic is Battle of the Atom. That's our titular comic. Mm. The four hundredth best comic is Schism. The six hundredth is Exiles. Ninety to ninety four Enemy of the Stars. The eight hundredth best comic is the Draco. We thought we had gotten away from the Draco. We have not. We had to bring it up again. <laughs> and the worst X Men comic of all time at eight hundred one is twenty nine ninety nine. Tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Uh, opening... Not as good as Life Death. That's what no. we're going to start with. That's pretty. That's pretty high. Um, I think Life we're Death in... is at thirty nine. Yeah, I do think we're in the top two hundred. I think this is a really solid story. Yes. Um, you know, this for me is really classic X-Men and it's not just the nostalgia of this being like one of my first issues. No, I think like this is, 
this is this is good good stuff right here. Yeah, this is really really great classic, you know, Claremont character work. It's it's just fantastic stuff. So I'm working my way up here and I'm going to I'm going to throw something out here at. You. Yeah, go ahead. How do you feel about it compared to Oh, I see what's le- viewers no, can't like, see that that Zach is just slowly moving his cursor up the Excel. I'm trying to find what I freaking had. I'm trying to find what I freaking had. <laughs> okay. Oh, now he's gone. Just, just back that, down. Uh, how do you feel about it? Adam, how do you feel about it compared to number 133 on our list? Uncanny X-Men 244 Ladies Night. I love Ladies Night. Uh, obviously, that's the first appearance of Jubilee, but I think this is better than that. And I honestly would go go higher than that. I think I this is honest- better than 123 Messiah War. Yep. I also think this is better than and you. There's another one that I love is Executioner's Song at 115. Yes. How is, do we? Is it better is, than Fallen Angels at 106? No. Okay. I was just thinking about Fallen Angels the other day. I was like, man, that book rules. Yeah, it's pretty great. I do think this is kind of on par with at 108. We have uh, Uncanny three for early frost. Early frost. I think this is. I think early. That. I think early frost might be better than that. And I think. I think 108 is early frost. 109 is X Men Black and Frost. Mm-hmm. I like both of those better than this. Okay. However, at 110 is Ben Percy X Force Terra Verde. Yep. I think this is better than Terra Verde. And Terra Verde is a book with some weird plants. And you know how I feel about weird plants. <laughs> I would. All right. So if we're in this era, in this, in this little realm here, I would say it, this should be our new one Oh nine, because I, as much as I love Leah's uh, and, and Chris Pachalo's uh, X-Men black, I just, I just think this is firing on all cylinders. Like this is, this is fantastic stuff. Okay. Perfect. It's me new one Oh nine. Okay. Here's great. my problem with it. It's got Selena. I don't love Selena that much. You don't have to like Selena. In the Rachel. The Rachel stuff is really good. Like there's that good scene where she calls Scott and then it's like, actually, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk to it. John Ramirez kills it in that yeah. scene too. There's such great, um, you know, and it's so funny because JRJR gets picked on so much for, you know, the sameness of a lot of his work now. But at that time, he just had this great way of subtly expressing uh, facial expressions. And it's just, it's a wonder to see. So I think I think Ramita does, too. They just keep putting him on books that have children in it. And why? <laughs> yes. Don't we do know. that. John Ramita's <laughs> never been good at drawing children. I would argue that during Daredevil, he he had a certain way of doing it that actually worked. But it's gotten progressively more terrible as, as the years have gone on. So where are we going next? We're, we're sticking in uh, in the 80s here, but um, we're, we're changing books. What is this next issue, Zach? Oh, this next issue is an issue of a book called New Mutants. It's ah. New Mutants 65 to 66. Here's the thing about this. Do you remember the event Fall of the Mutants? Yes, I do. Well, in that, some mutants fell. Yep, it's true. The New Mutants had to deal with Doug Ramsey falling. Mm-hmm. To a to a permanent end. Yeah, he's dead. He ain't dead. Doug dead. Uh, all of the X Men had to deal with all of them dying and falling in such a way, including Colossus, which his sister, his angry sister, who I love, Ayana <laughs> yes. Rasputin. Yep. Not thrilled. No. Not thrilled about this event, and specifically, not thrilled at Forge. <laughs> 
Yeah, for very, very good reasons. So as the MPR... Well, I mean, she's wrong, but I get it. She's wrong, but if you were just doing what she's doing, which is watching it on NPR TV um, with the amazing... A thing that exists. ...coverage of Neil Conan and Manoli Weatherall... Uh, <laughs> Rest Liana, in face, Chris Claremont's ex-girlfriend, Manoli Weatherall. Is Manoli still alive? Probably. I think so. I do think so, but I could be mistaken, you know, but, um, so we have Louis Simonson and Brett Blevins telling this story. Um, Terry Austin. Oh, this is Manoli Weatherall's LinkedIn page. Oh, Hey, she hasn't posted lately. Okay. Well, that's okay. Oh, she was, <laughs> do you... hold on. I just want you to know this. At... Do you know how long Manoli Weatherall worked at, uh, the national public radio? Is it a very short period of time? <laughs> no, it's like 40 years. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I would it was, assume. It was, it was 39 years. Wow. That's a career. That's a real career. Yeah. Great. I'm sorry. Sorry for... You're, now you're Weatherall. distracted by this LinkedIn account. So because Magic is so pissed off, uh, she wants the headmaster, Magneto, obviously, who's been doing increasingly more villainous stuff with the Hellfire Club. Um, to obviously let the team go, uh, to Dallas and confront forge Magneto's like, dude, you grounded. One of you just died. Just go to your rooms. Guys, and I, you how literally many times disobeyed Mag- me and got one of you murdered. The <laughs> right. weakest one, the worst one. If you got murdered, the most likely to be murdered did get murdered. Yes. Now um, I got to deal with that. <laughs> So he's not wrong, but at the same time, when has Magneto grounding the the New Mutants ever worked? It never does. They basically always go for their graduation costumes and head out on te- onto the town. And that's exactly what How many of the graduation costumes look good? Um, none. I mean, Birdo's isn't terrible. His is basically just a, you know, Zorro mask and, you know, a bodysuit. I don't hate magics. No. I don't like it, but yeah. I don't hate it. Like... I think you could I think you could do like that red jacket as a as a good look. I just don't think it would fit magic of today. Yeah. No, it works it works with Blevins here. The, yeah, this is Brett Blevins and Weezy Simonson, by the way. Right. So after a quick vignette where magic goes and comforts Kitty um on Muir Island, they basically do exactly what she said she was gonna do. They transport through limbo, they end up um, you know, right in the fallout of the fall of the mutants event destiny is there maskless uh terrified and forge is like all right let's 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 you know let's fight we doing this let's do it there's just a little problem we have another team on the spot and uh the new mutants have to deal with freedom force freedom force (laughs) the best part of the freedom force bar none is the part where Destiny is hanging out and Spiral is fighting and Destiny warns some people about something and doesn't warn Spiral and a wall falls on Spiral (laughs) and Destiny explicitly says, I just don't like her. (laughs) That's pretty good. Destiny, why didn't you do anything? I I do not (laughs) like that woman. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So Irene. Love this. Yeah. Destiny is having visions of uh, the Inferno event. Um, so she's properly freaked Which, out. This is important to the Inferno event because for Magic to go fight Forge, she takes the Soul Sword out of Limbo where it was holding back the techno-organic virus. And Sim is like, well, 
this this is this is a freebie for me. Yeah. I'm gonna make <laughs> make my demon robot army even bigger. Yeah. You're gonna lose, kid. <laughs> so the second issue, 66, is basically magic versus forge. Forge is using all With of his all of the new mutants, all of the new mutants saying I don't really think we agree with Ileana on any of this, but I'm not going to be the one to stop her. Yes. Um, the other thing is that as magic is attacking forge and, and getting into this big fight, the new mutants are slowly being wrapped up in this living vine that is eventually going to suffocate and kill them. So it's a test of magic's ability to, you know, empathize and remember the, her humanity and her friends while she's trying to exact this revenge, which is very misguided. And is she indeed the dark child, which appears to her at one point, um, or is she the friend to, to her friends? And she does eventually, you know, instead of taking off Forge's head, um, she frees her friends. And so, you know, she, she Forge, Forge is interesting in this, I feel, because Mm -hmm. Forge is like, you're wrong. Ileana, this is, nope, that's not what, I don't know you, but that's, you misunderstand what's happening. And at the same point, he's like, okay, but I get, I get why you're mad. And like, if we're going to do this, let's do this. But he's both like, he understands her, even if he's confused about the situation. Yeah. I also think that this issue is a great example of what we were talking about before, about Forge just having a lot going on, right? Like in Forge's initial appearances, he is this, you know techno genius but here he's basically just a dude in like ripped jeans um with uh, like a shamanistic invisible mystical armor that he's he's using he's in deep shaman mode right yeah like he's magic man and so (laughs) it's just interesting like it's all i mean it's still the same character don't get me wrong but it just demonstrates like how much possibility this character has. There's a lot going on with this dude. There is too much going on with Forge. Yeah. Then, of course, the two issues does end with the first appearance of everybody's favorite new mutant, Gossamer. (laughs) I'm not talking about Gossamer. You know, we've gone so many freaking years without doing the Gossamer stuff. I don't want to do the Gossamer stuff. Listeners, uh, if there's one of you out there that's a big Gossamer fan, um, I'll do it for five bucks. We'll obviously do it for you, but um, I invite you to check out some other stories because we don't we don't need to talk about that one. Here's the thing, guys. I'm just going to be I want to be frank with you. What do you want us to pair with Gossamer? (laughs) What what is the episode that you want (laughs) us to do involving Gossamer? Is it like worst x-men characters that people don't care about because it's like let's do gossamer we already did gaia we already did bird brain (laughs) so you got gossamer you got gaia who else is like the completely forgotten we don't want you on our team characters see now we're just challenging people you know someone's thinking about this and we are challenging now now we are challenging people and i just told people we should read about gaia and i don't (laughs) want to do that either lethal larry hama is fantastic i don't care for his generation x oh my god yeah um i'm for the most part enjoying i i've blevins has grown on me a great deal over the years i think he's exceptionally talented and um i think that, that it generally is he's doing a great job here um this is also that era where the new mutants do appear to kind of be de-aged a little bit so you it's know slipstream by the way 
And I, I had to think of it. It's Slipstream's the other one. Oh, okay. Okay. Because, like, Thunderbird 3's around for a bit more. Slipstream's, like, the worst of his siblings. Anyway, continue. Yes. Oh, I was just complimenting Brett Blevins. I do think it's a little bit weird Blevins when you see Eliana undressing in front of her team members because they've de-aged the character. Like, it just visually, it looks like an even younger character than she, she has been. Um, well, it, what's weird about it is that that's the panel because it's not drawn in like a sexualized way no. or anything. No, it's drawn as she is changing. Right. But and, also we don't need to see it necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the question that comes up is why was that what you ended up drawing anyway? <laughs> uh, for the answer we didn't to that, have to do that. So the answer to that, you might want to just see what other kinds of things Brett Blevins likes to draw, um, you know, following on Instagram. But uh, I have not, but, you're scaring me. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's bad. He just, he likes to draw things that are like a little sexy. You know what I mean? Like that's just something he likes to draw. So it's weird though, obviously because of who the character is and the age of the character. So um, yeah. it's a minor detour um, in that one moment, but all in all, I enjoyed this quite a bit, and I think it's a really good epilogue to what we saw in Fall of the Mutants. Do I think it's as good as the other stuff we just were reading in Uncanny? No. It is not. But um, I, did I enjoy where it? A great, is, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Where is the issue where Ileana fights with Colossus's ghost, but it's not really his ghost, it's just him? Oh, yeah. Because I believe when we ranked that, I thought we were ranking this story. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, like when 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 I said, let's read that one. That is, hold on a sec. Okay, that is at 248 on our list. And that is Uncanny This X-Men is better than that. 231. Colossus pretends to be a Colossus ghost. Colossus pretends to be a ghost. We named it the way we remember. Yeah, I do think this is probably, so that's a 248. This is probably a top 250 story. Um, but I don't know how high I would go, um, despite enjoying this, this quite a bit. At 196 is Jean Grey, 8 to 11, Psych Wars. Yeah. I think Psych Wars is better. I would agree. Um, I think Battle of the Atom is better than this at 201. But this is probably better than the Pregnant Brood arc of Wolverine and the X-Men at 205. You're is this also... better than quest, the Quest for Magic with Scotty Youngart at 213? I would say yes. I think that this is better okay. than that new X-Men arc. Let's put it above this, above that, but below that. Actually, no, let's put it above that issue of Uncanny about Morph. Okay, so this is going to be 204. our new 204 right below Uncanny X-Men 97 and above Uncanny X-Men Volume 3 number 14. For, for those of you playing along at home. Yes. Well, just, you know, so people know what we're comparing it to. Um, so they so, know what we're doing. Yeah. So we've stuck mainly to 80s Forge uh, for the first part of the show. But for our third story, we are going fast forwarding to the present. Yeah, we're talking about X-Men Volume 6, 15 through 17 by Jerry Duggan and Joshua Kassara. Love that, Josh Kassara. Holy moly. Did you see the enamel pins that he made for uh, San Diego Comic-Con? I did. They look great. They're so much fun. Uh, so for listeners who haven't seen these, go to Josh's Instagram or his Twitter. Uh, he made a series of, I think it's six different enamel pins. And one of them is just a really happy Wolverine. <laughs> it says this great smile on his face. 
<laughs> so funny. I, I love Kassara's art. I would say that one criticism that I have had of the Krakoa era books is that I don't think there are standout artists outside of your Pepe Larraz's, your RB Silva's. I think Linio Yu really showed up when he was doing it. And I think Valerio Skidi on uh, Sword, especially, pumped it to the next level. Sure. I think Josh Kassara is in that conversation, which is fairly surprising because before this, he was not an A-list artist by any means. He was not up there in like Marvel's next big thing. It was they started seeing what he was doing on X-Force and said, oh, Right. This guy's next level. Yeah. Especially when you start to see what he was doing in X-Force. It is mind blowing. You know, uh, you I, know. I love that I somehow have two pieces from Josh Kassara, one of which is a Scrabble scorecard that <laughs> yeah. he was doing with him and his wife. And hold on. I need to check this real quick. Yeah, I want to be I want to be clear that in this game of Scrabble that I have memorialized in my wall, Josh Kassara's wife freaking killed him <laughs> well that's because he was drawing fred dukes <laughs> like a 90 point victory over him yes josh is busy drawing on his scorecard he's not worried about it it's a, like in terms like you call it's a ballpoint pen so you know like shading's not all there but in terms of a ballpoint pen drawing holy crap it's yeah. really good yeah uh so i do think it's it was an interesting pick to move Josh over to X-Men as, yes. you know, X-Men when it launched for the first year, you know, you had Pepe doing most of the issues is supposed to be kind of like the flagship of the X-Men line, right? It's, yeah, the, it it's is. the superhero book. It's the adventure whatever. So when they made that, that call to move him off X-Force, I was surprised only because his artwork is very much, um, I think, the thing that works best is when he is doing organic things, you know, because he does such really cool stuff with vines and plants and trees and foliage. And when I actually got into this arc, which we're going to talk about, which is what issues 15 to 17, it allows him to use what he's already got going on in those areas but he also gets to flex his muscles in some new ways. And I, I continue to have newfound respect for, for his style. It's, it's really impressive. I think that Kassara is great in this. I do think that it is an odd choice for this book only in so much as he doesn't look like Stuart Eminem is his largest influence. Well, that's, what's interesting is that which they is, chose, which is, which is what every other Marvel book that is, Right, of any significance, yeah, yeah, has right. So either that or John Romita Jr. still drawing Spider Man like he was forty years ago. Yeah, exactly. And we were just talking about this last episode. Our desire for you know artists that look unique, and I think Josh's does. So I think it's really cool. Josh's Josh's is he's stepping up, and this is a great arc to step up in because it's about the children of the vault, and I want to set the record straight. We were on the Children of the Vault train long before, <laughs> long before any of this was going on. You can you go back and know, listen to that episode. You, you want to know, this is, this is a real story, Adam. The thing that kicked off the Xavier Files, 
AKA Zach writing about a different X-Men character every week kind of bit. Mm -hmm. The precursor to that was a X-Men book club on Reddit. Get that. I love it. No joke (laughs) that it was me and our friend Tom and some other people. I don't know. I just remember me and Tom. First book was giant size X-Men. Second book was supernovas. Oh, nice. Yeah. So if you want to know how far back I've been like championing these guys, it's before I did any of this stuff. So the fact that Jonathan Hickman said, actually, they rule and we should use them. And And then everyone agreed. Yeah. Music to my ears. And it makes perfect sense that he would latch on to a concept like this. You know, it fits, it, it, it checks a lot of the boxes of things that Hickman really enjoys. And it fits in perfectly with this idea that, you know, there's a long term centuries long quest for, you know, to become dominion. Right. And that the children of the vault would be part of that puzzle. So um, we've also already that they were designed by Chris Patch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Added, added bonus. Right. So we um, have seen these characters under Hickman's pen. Right. Um, because several of the characters, um, Laura, Sink and Darwin spent thousands of years, essentially, like inside the vault on a recon mission. And Sink was the only one to come out. So that's where we're picking up here is that Forge has developed essentially, and I swear to God, when I did the page turn, I thought it was the world. It's it's kind of like the world of it. Yeah, it is. It is very explicitly trying to make that visual motif appear here. Um, Yeah, this is the world from, you know, Phantom X stuff. Right. But well, you say that that's his plan. What's neat is in the first issue of this, issue 16, it's like 50% a flashback to Forge trying something else and like in his mind saying, I could try this and it wouldn't work. Yeah. So I'm trying this. Yeah. The the first third of, I think it's 15 is basically it's children, children of the vault, like kill the Marvel universe. And it's a lot of fun, you know, Forge tries to use a gun and it doesn't work. So instead... <laughs> He uses a big time bubble. Yeah. So he's essentially allowed some of the children to come out, but he's put them basically in matrix pods so that they Mm -hmm. think they are conquering the entire galaxy, even though they're all in little, little, you know, capsules. This is allowing Forge to do some recon of himself for himself because he wants to know what happened to Darwin um, because Darwin did not come out. Forge has some ulterior motives, I think. And he's doing some very ethically dubious borderline beast like things, including wearing Caliban as a suit. Okay. Hold on. Forge asked. No, he didn't. If he could. No, he didn't. Forge asked eventually because he knew Caliban would say yes. Forge asked after it happened. So we are given the impression that Caliban Caliban doesn't know that. No, but he is lying to Caliban. He is ethically in the wrong. He has done something terrible and warned. Forge has never done anything wrong in his entire (laughs) life. I don't know what you're talking about, Adam. He's also slipped in some mystique so that he can shape change into children of the vault uh, visuals. Um, it's pretty fun 
how Forge is also skirting. tempo so he can deal with time stuff. But yeah, yes, yes. He's he's not going to age up while he's in there. So we're getting we're getting that happening on the inside as the Forge is exploring the vault. Hey, can we talk about the Caliban suit for a second? That yeah. buck wild stuff that he's doing is making a suit out of Caliban. I want to talk about this because Duggan's X-Men has been a very strange book. It was designed yes. essentially to be the X-Men are back in America. They're in New York. They're, they're a superhero team. And yet the stories that the book has told have been all over the place. Right. I have a I have a theory about this specifically. Okay. Yeah. And this is this is one of the challenges I have with this book writ large. And it's a thing that can sometimes work well, as in this arc. Yep. These three issues it works well. In other arcs it doesn't. This is a book where you have twelve issues a year with mm-hmm. a team. Yep. At least for the first two it's twelve issues. To do a team, get everybody on the seven person team something to do and to drive them forward and push forward the overall Orcus plot that is really been stemming from this book. It's a lot. Yeah, it really Which is. Which means that characters kind of get like an issue uh-huh. or two of focus period before they get shuffled off into the background. Because mm-hmm. this is really an arc for Forge. There is some stuff with Havoc in here and Cyclops that I think is underbaked comparatively. I agree. So for, for our listeners. But the Forge stuff is great. Yeah. Havoc um, is still pissed because he doesn't think he believes that he was put on the X-Men like as. As a bit. As a bit. Right. To piss off Cyclops. They get into a fight and it unfortunately unleashes one of the children from the vault who they have to put back into his little Matrix pod. Can we pause right here about Havoc? Because there's one thing we have to discuss. His headpiece. How Josh Kassara is explicitly trying to see how big he can get the headpiece every time he draws it to yes. the point where it is comical. Yes. And I I both appreciate that as like also someone who likes to do bits. I can say that as an artistic choice, it goes to the level of, okay, well, I see what you're doing and now I'm kind of annoyed with it. It's really wild. It's it's almost as if um, Havoc and Wolverine meltdown hair, Wolverine hair is like transferred into <laughs> Havoc's hat. It's, it's extensive <laughs> yes. how much he stretches this hat. Yeah, it's pretty great. Then at one point it's like swooping back and it's a weird thing. Otherwise, I think he draws Havoc's powers really cool too. I would agree. Hey, he is having a blast drawing this stuff. And I do think I was talking about how how well he draws like organic matter. I think this also allows him to do more of the technological stuff. The, you know, the inside of the vault looks very much like almost like Blade Runner-y. We get this very interesting setup where um, one of the children, Serafina, allows Forge to be noticed and she walks away, which I think is a very interesting character development, um, story development. And then, of course, what does Forge find? He he does interact with Darwin while he's inside, and we can kind of argue about how that works out. But he also realizes that Lara is still in there. So there's a the other big thing that happens is you find out that when Forge comes back and he gets Cerebro scanned, there's a lot more Forge there. That's right. And then there's not a lot more Forge there. Then there's normal amounts of Forge in his brain. Right. So who hitchhiked out with Forge is a really interesting question. 
So I'm going to say something here, and I think, Adam, you and I talked about this off air last week, and I'm going to say this now, and folks, if you're listening to this anytime that's not Monday, Tuesday when this comes out, I will either be proven right or wrong, but I want to be clear. I'm, I'm doing a called shot here. Yeah, let's let's hear it. Here's my called shot. Okay. And I can't take full credit for this. Connor Goldsmith and I kind of came up with it back and forth. We know that there is somebody on the X-Men who is compromised. Yes, that there is, is some sort of traitor. Destiny revealed that in a recent issue. My overall arcing theory is that we are going to be led to believe that it is this fake Laura, also known as Talon, mm-hmm. or this copy of Laura, because she's untrustworthy and this weird lady that came back from the vault and seems odd. And also, we can't have two of her running around and we're going to keep the young one. Let's call it spade a spade. We're going to be led to believe that she's the traitor. And then we're going to have the rug pulled out from us and have it be Forge, who has been compromised by either Darwin or the children. Something, Something's in him from this trip to the vault that has caused issues and will lead to the fall of X and be the big emotional stakes of the Hellfire Gala of we lost somebody. Because here's the thing. Sink is still going to be in the book 100%. So to have him... Like, oh, no, now I lost my girlfriend again. It'll continue his whole journey. Whether you're right or wrong, I think uh, your conclusions make sense um, because we know that Serafina has also worked with Orcus. So it makes sense for her to, you know, be trying to manipulate Forge in this way. And also we have a Children of the Atom book coming from freaking Denzi Camp. Yeah, yeah. So literally could not. The only reason that it is not the book I'm the most excited about is because the other writer who's coming in that I really like, Steve Fox, uh, has a book where Maggot is on the cover of the second edition. <laughs> that's, and y'all, I'm I I am who I am. Yeah, that's the Dark X Men book, right? That's that's Dark X Men. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Fox is very good at doing doing horror stuff and creepy stuff. He was a contributor and editor of Razorblades. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Pando. Yeah. So, so lots of, like lots of fun stuff. If you are eager to kind of go back and look for little tidbits, this is a great arc to do it. Um, and I would say that the art here, you know, in subsequent issues, um, we've been over the moon about Josh's artwork. I think that you can sometimes see the time constraints on Josh's work. Yes just because it's a monthly book and it, you know, but here he's firing on all cylinders. These pages look absolutely gorgeous. And, um, you know, I loved this. I, I loved the first time that they went in, uh, to the vault and I loved this follow-up. I, I just think it's so much fun. And I think it's some of the best stuff that Jerry has done with, uh, with the book so far. Yep. I think it's great. I'm excited to see, how this plays out. And I'm excited that there's more shooting of the Adam stuff going. And I'll be honest, folks, this is, this is not a indictment on other books. This is a me thing. I don't get excited about that many comics right now. So I'm glad that there are things that get me excited. Yeah, absolutely. So I like this better than the new mutants uh, book that we just talked about at 204. And yes. I think this is a top 200 book. I do too. This is not as good as Marauders at 113. 113. Yeah, I would agree. That's, that's the that's the Duggan Marauders stuff. 
uh, yeah. the, the whole big uh, Captain Kate. Yeah, so that takes into account the entire first year and issue 16 of Marauders. And I would agree. I, I do think that he's trying some vastly different stuff here. But like you said, some of the character stuff with Cyclops and Havoc doesn't work as well. Um, it, but it if there's one if there's one thing that I don't think that Duggan has particularly done well in the second year of X-Men, it is properly developing the conflicts, specifically the conflict, the interpersonal conflicts uh, with Scott that people are having. Mm. People are angry. At Scott. I have not. People are. Listen, kind of. We're not going to do brood discourse because I don't care <sighs> about that arc in general, but I can appreciate why people are mad at Scott Summers, especially <laughs> people who may have eaten planets before. Sure, sure. Um, at one twenty, we have. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say at one twenty, we have Empire X Men, and as fun as that is, I think these three issues are better. Really, I think Empire X Men's better, and I even think one thirty five Giant Size X Men by Hickman is better. Oh, uh, you know I'm not. I like think I, the biggest Giant Size X Men Hickman fan. Okay, but that book is so pretty. Here, okay, okay, okay. So is this. I think I think what we're saying, Adam, is that we found a good range. Yes. This isn't better than Blood Hungry at 132. Peter David, Sam Keith, Blood Hungry with Cypher. He's got that Sam Keith. He's got that Sam Keith, buddy. All right. I think that's a good place for it on the list then. So we're saying that the two books below that are the first arc, uh, the Nimrod arc of New X-Men. Ooh, that's a good comparison. That's a really good comparison because Forge is in that one That's too. got that. It does. That's got that Paco Medina. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a good spot here. That one's pretty good. You know what I would actually do? Would it, would this what seem would crazy do? to me? I would slot this in between Ladies Night and Giant Size X-Men. As our new 135? That's what I would do. So it is written. So it shall be. All right. So this is our new 135. Man, you know... <laughs> I was talking to Anna about this the other day that we often are Anna con- Pappard, host of gosh, golly. Wow. Yep. We were having this conversation that like constantly over like many, many episodes, we're always putting things like low on this list. So it was nice this week to put stuff in the top 200. That felt really nice. Well, that's the thing. We like talking about good comics. We do folks. We enjoy the good comics. It's just, it's just that X-Men comics are often bad. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but thank just, you, Robert. There's, there's no two ways around it. A lot of them are bad. Yeah. But uh, Robert picked some good ones this week. Robert, thank you so much. If you want to be like Robert, do the thing. Uh, Adam, what do you got going on? Uh, folks can always follow me on, uh, I guess, Instagram, Adam.Rec, Twitter, Arthur Stacy, And I'm on Blue Sky now at Adam Rec. So... Uh, check that out if you're, you're you've got your blue sky invite. Other than that is that's it. And don't try and find Zach anywhere. And what are we doing next? I'll week, be Zach? in my new chair. Oh right, I'll be in my new chair. Yeah, but we don't want if people you want to f- find me. No, we don't want people to find you in your new chair, Zach. Anyway, this is my chair, and I'm going to be in this, and you're going to be listening to this podcast, and it's going to be a great time because next week, Adam, do you know what we're going to talk about? We are talking about Hellions next week. Is that right? Yeah, we're talking about the Hellions. Nice. But great news. There's some good good comics coming next week, too. We got good stuff coming up. We kind of have a we kind of got a grip of good comics coming up soon. Yeah. Yeah. So folks, stay tuned. Next couple of weeks going to be great. Oh, and then there's some insane ones. 
also. So we're mixing it up (laughs) and hurting ourselves in the process. But until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!